You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. Today we're just going to jump right into our conversation and we're talking about the Jungle Operations Training Course, which is part of the 25th Infantry Division's Lightning Academy down in uh, Hawaii at Schofield Barracks. And so we're going to talk with two 5th Security Force Assistant Brigade soldiers who recently completed the training, as well as one of the course's instructors. So first up is Sergeant First Class Kevin Payne and Staff Sergeant Kyle Gersbeck, both from the 5th SFAB. Hey guys, thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here. So Sergeant First Class Payne, Staff Sergeant Gersbeck, you guys are both in the 5th SFAB. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and what that means? So 5th SFAB is the, or it is a part of the Army's new program to create uh, what's called the Security Forces Assistance Brigades. Our kind of overall purpose is to kind of replace BCTs and going to foreign countries and like training their uh, like forces. Okay. So like our our big job is to go to countries that invite us in and just help train their personnel. All right. And so what do you guys do in the SFAB? Um, so myself as an operations advisor for a company advisor team, I, I do a, a broad range of duties. Um, doctrinally, I cover the S1 or human resources portion for the team. Uh, but on top of that, uh, the role that I fill is usually covered by a combat arms uh, person. So I also, while I'm covering the human resources portion, I I pick up a lot of the mobility and maneuver stuff um, and, and kind of looked at as the subject matter expert within our team as far as like infantry tactics okay. and stuff that we do. Okay. And what about you, Staff Sergeant Gersbeck? So for me, I'm the senior operations advisor for my team. So for for my team, I'm more of the kind of run like the staff functions. Okay. So I'm kind of the overall side of like planning. I assist our captain, our team leader for my team in kind of setting up reports. I help re- write and review port- reports for him. And then I kind of focus more on like the planning side of life. Okay. As opposed to like my counterpart uh, who focuses more on like the sustainment support side of it. Okay. Now, so let's dive into this training course you both just attended and completed, the Jungle Operations Training Course. It's a two-week two week course at Schofield Barracks in Hawaii, and it teaches jungle mobility, waterborne operations, combat tracking, jungle tactics, and survival training. So let's start with you, Sergeant Payne. What interested you about this course? Uh, so having been a graduate of the Cold Weather Leaders course, also known as Arctic School, uh, the basic mountaineering course up at Camp Ethan Allen in Vermont, uh, and having worked as a survival instructor previously. Um, the Jungle Operations Training Course was always something that I've been looking to do. Uh, I kind of look at it as like combining all these skills as, as well as with the Jungle Course, uh, and it basically builds a mastery over any of the environments that we as soldiers are going to find ourselves in. Sure. Uh, particularly of the subjects that were taught at jungle school. Uh, I was interested in the jungle mobility and the waterborne operations. Um, That's something that is a little foreign to us in the regular army that we typically don't get into those situations. Like it's not something that we really build training scenarios around. Sure. So it was interesting to get into that. Um, In the broader sense with 5th SFAB's alignment to Indo-PACOM, uh, where the majority of countries have some amount of tropical jungle, I felt it was especially important that we send advisors to jungle school. And I had been pushing for that since I got on ground here. Um, uh, I've talked to a lot of people that look at it as just another tab for us to wear. And unfortunately, <laughs> that's a, a mindset that I've been trying to break people out of. Is there a beanie uh, too? A boonie cap? <laughs> well, the boonie's kind of one of those... The army kind of keeps it low key, but okay. yeah, I mean, we we do prefer to wear that in those environments okay. as well, just because the weather and the the continual rain that typically right. comes with the jungles. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had to ask. <laughs> but uh, as advisors, our first step has to be establishing rapport and credibility with our partners. Uh, for me, it seems 
seems like a great way to start off on the right foot with them by showing our partners that prior to getting to their countries, uh, we've already been focused on the environments that are specific to them. And it was important enough for us to send people to a school to learn about. Sure. So what about you, Sergeant Gersbeck? So for me, uh, I just honestly like kind of taking any school <laughs> that I can get my hands on at uh, a school where I essentially get to go army hike for two weeks through the jungle. <laughs> yeah. Sounded In Hawaii. Yeah, I, I got to finally go to Hawaii. That was a great time. Uh, there's definitely times in the school, especially near the end of it, when you're doing your patrols, where you'd come up on like a ridge line and you just like look out and you can just see all the mountains across yeah. Hawaii and like the sun would be going down. That yeah, sounds it, amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> and personally, like I enjoy doing outdoor hiking. Yeah, I love Washington so much here. But uh, yeah, it was definitely it was just fun. Like I was just excited to go to a school where I could like test myself. Yeah a school where I can learn more about the environment I'll be working in and a school where I get to do something I enjoy, which is be outside and <laughs> do infantry stuff. Right. You know, honestly, I had never even heard of this course until this whole thing got brought up. Um, so I'm glad I get to little, learn a little bit more about it. I grew up in the Fort Drum area, so the whole Arctic training isn't foreign to me. Um, there's lots of snow there, <laughs> but this one was completely foreign. I had no idea. Um, but I want to ask Sergeant Gersbeck, how will you use what you learned from this course in future deployments? So for us, uh, biggest things are obviously the considerations for just working in jungle environments. But I think the one of the main things like I really want to just focus on is the kind of the lower tier stuff that a lot of people did like I just had no concept of like just field hygiene in jungle environments. So one thing that the school pushed really hard was you they don't want you to shave when you're in the field there. Ah. And a lot of guys took it as oh cool I don't get to shave <laughs> like I could grow a beard like but then there's the medical side of it where if you accidentally nick yourself. Now you have an open wound on your face ah. in an environment where you're very much covered in mud the whole time, swimming in dirty water. Right. You can get an infection on your face, and then all of a sudden, now you're taking someone out of the fight. Right. I had never even so, thought about that. Yeah, neither, neither <laughs> have I. <laughs> it's and interesting. Then, uh, the Latinf course there, too, was incredibly challenging to just like look at a map and go, oh, my point's only one or two kilometers away. That's a very easy movement. And then two hours later, crawling through bamboo thickets, <laughs> I was like, this is not an easy movement. I'm very unhappy with my choice and route oh. selection. <laughs> cool. So I want to talk about what you guys actually did during those two weeks. I, From what you've said, this was a hands-on training. So can you share an experience that stood out to each of you? Uh, so for myself, uh, I feel like Sergeant Gersbeck talked a lot about it, about what he was wanting to, to go do there. Uh, what stood out was those amazing movements that we're doing through the terrain like it, it's a very beautiful landscape and while it's terrible to be doing movements up and down those mountains <laughs> like this with all the equipment it the reward whenever you reach the top is outstanding oh i'm sure uh, but as far as like the the individual training that we were doing the the waterborne operations were great like that that was a whole aspect of stuff that we just, we had not focused on at all. And it was great to be able to see like how that can benefit us and like the things that it can bring to us. And so when you say waterborne operations, what do you mean by that? Can you explain it a little? So with waterborne operations in an environment like that, um, they look at it as using creeks, streams, rivers as a sort of highway. Like it, it's ah. a lot less, um, trouble to move through that. You can get on it, float somewhere, and you're going to cut your time in half as opposed to moving across land through that environment. Right. Um, but some of the stuff that we specifically did, we, we were shown how to use our rucks to make pack floats and be able to float downstream. Uh, we also were shown how to employ using a squad on a Zodiac which was great. It's not something the army regularly comes across. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, just stuff like that. So what about creatures in the water? <laughs> Are there snakes that you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, cause 
my uh, last duty station before I came to JVLM was Fort Bragg, North okay. Carolina. And there, yeah, water moccasins are a huge concern, <laughs> and I'm not a fan of snakes. No, me neither. Uh, one of the things that I was incredibly excited about when I got to Hawaii is apparently there are no snakes on the islands of Hawaii. Interesting. Yeah. You so learn you something every day. <laughs> about the centipedes biting you. Yes. Okay. Which the centipedes can get still about 12 inches long. That's a long centipede. Okay. (laughs) So what about you though, Sergeant Gersbeck? What, what stood out for you? What sort of experiences? So the biggest thing to me is I was thoroughly excited. So my background, I came from the 82nd. So I enjoy a unit that kind of has an identity and it has like skill set. and showing up to Hawaii to see an infantry division, 25th infantry, essentially say, hey, we work in this environment. We need a school that trains our soldiers to do that. But not only did they say that, we had, so they have a very, like they put their money where their mouth is. Cause in our class, we had the division commander oh, wow. at the school as a student just going through. Very cool. So they said, hey, we need a school to train our soldiers. They created a school and they put an emphasis behind it. There were battalion commanders in our course, there were our majors in our course, there was privates, like everyone was represented because the division put that emphasis behind it. Yeah. And they said, hey, this is a skill we need to have. I want the soldiers to have this. Awesome. So that like really stood out to me that the like they cherish it, cherish it. To them, like that tab means a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like to me, that was amazing. Like it was really cool to just see like a unit go hey, this is the school we want our soldiers to go to. Yeah. So I heard, I read in my research about this course, because again, I didn't know much about it, that knot tying is apparently really hard. So <laughs> is, is that true? So yes. Yes and no. <laughs> um, like just being able to tie the knots themselves, not a big deal. Okay. But whenever you start incorporating standards of both time and perfecting the knot itself um it can get pretty grueling um just within our course like the first couple days you you have your knots testing and then the jungle 5k and then uh you're doing the swim test the same day as the jungle 5k and then going into land nav immediately the next day after that um within those three days we had a 45 percent attrition rate wow so those, while they seem like individually, they're, they're not very difficult tasks, but once you add up those things over the course of a few days. In the it, environment. It can, yes, of course. Like it, it can add up very fast. All right. So what was the toughest part? Uh, honestly, just that the first initial three days, just getting through that, the okay. amount of internal stress that you're building up. <laughs> as you're going through each one of those gates and like, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? <laughs> um, like a lot of people had, had to do uh, a retest on the knots. That's not uncommon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of those time standards that you get, there's a lot of stress that you have to put into it. Like being able to tie the knot, like I said, not necessarily a big deal, right. but whenever you have to do it under the duress of meeting a time hack, sure. it becomes very, very stressful. Sure. Very fast. So what about you, Sergeant Gersbeck? Uh, for me, the hardest part was probably the 5K. Okay. Because at least knots, I can practice knots. Sure. I can, we were in quarantine there, like uh, me and my friend, we ran every morning. Mm-hmm. But we were running through downtown Honolulu. It was like flat terrain. And uh, one of the other guys that came with us actually went out to the run course there at the Lightning Academy. And he ran the route once and came back and said, you guys need to go run that route. (laughs) And I think myself, yeah, the other three of us went and ran it a few days before the start of the course. And no amount of running prepared me for that (laughs) route. It's a a very challenging route. Okay. So that, like. I don't know. The guys from 25th had that added benefit that they were climatized. Sure. They were used to that route. When we left Washington, it was snowing. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got to <laughs> Hawaii. It was in the 80s. And now I'm running through the jungle on a rocky trail. Like that was it was just something I couldn't prepare for. Sure. And like, now I don't is, know. I'm still happy I passed it. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Hawaii humid? Cause, again, I've never been. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Because I, I, mean, I would think that that would even add sure. to the whole yeah. running and endurance. Yeah. I feel like with the, the humidity, you get a little bit of balance of like the ocean breeze. Sure. And like there's typically some sort of shower that comes through every single day. <laughs> so it helps to cool it off some, yeah. but yeah. still it gets, it can get hot very fast. Right. So you guys obviously don't work in a jungle every day. You're at, in Washington state. So are there parts of this course that you are able to bring back and use in your day-to-day work environment? So I would definitely say yes. There's um, just a lot of the planning considerations. So coming more back to the SFAB, like our job isn't so much. So I know myself as Sergeant Payne or infantryman by trade. So coming to an SFAB, it's not my job anymore to close with the enemy and do like close combat. Like right. here, my job is more of the planning side, the brain side. Right. So knowing just that jungle environment allows me back here to just kind of have those considerations for going forward to plan better as opposed like it kind of it just gives me a better idea of where i'm going and the other people on my team i can now convey that more okay what about you sergeant Payne? uh i know absolutely it, we talked a little bit about the land nav course and like how grueling it could be just getting through to what you think one kilometer is going to be, and it turns out you're there for two hours trying to beat through it. Um, but just taking those skills that you learn and like how to plan the route and read the terrain um, and bringing that back to like a regular, like typical land nav course, like you're so much more advanced at that point that the the typical land nav course has become, I dare say simple, but <laughs> like it's definitely a lot easier. Sure, sure. So I actually, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was actually going to circle back to the whole SFAB being an advisor thing. Um, I wanted to ask each of you how you became an advisor and why was it something that you wanted to do? Sergeant Payne, do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Um, so I actually promoted in route. Uh, typically, whenever you're a uh, sergeant first class, it's an interview process and uh, you're basically hired over the phone, essentially. <laughs> but... Uh, for E6 and below, you have to go through a selection process at Fort Bragg. It's usually a three-day event, um, you know, plus minus with travel days right. and whatnot. But during that, you're going through um, just different activities in a, a squad size element. Like they're trying to essentially see if you're capable of working with people that you've never worked with before and how you react to different scenarios that are thrown at you. Because we wanna make sure that we pick the right people for this job. So we wanna see what their temperament's like and how they're gonna react and sure. respond in stressful situations. Um, but that wraps up with a few different tests towards uh, an aptitude test, a morality test, and then you go through a selection board with a Lieutenant Colonel and a Sergeant Major from somewhere within uh, SFAC that actually, I believe you as well, but yeah. uh, we ended up um, both being interviewed by our SAR major at this unit. Okay. So now why uh, did... sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. Right. But... Now, why was this something that you want? I assume you wanted to join an SFAB or be part of the SFAC. So why, why? Sergeant Gersbeck? Uh, oh, Sergeant Payne? <laughs> so for myself, it. Uh, I had worked with the the Iraqi National Guard and the Iraqi police before. And I was able to see the benefits uh, that this type of work can bring for our forces in those countries. Okay. So just knowing that the benefits are there, and it was something that I believed in. So having a unit that actually did it now, like I feel all for the, this is the important stuff that we need to be doing as an army. Right. What about you, Sergeant Gersbeck? Uh, so for me, I, I want to do it because it just seemed like a like a challenge. <laughs> like it was, it, I mean, so for us, we also have to have our broadening assignment. Mm -hmm. So it counts for broadening assignment for us. So that helps with promotion too. But I also, but, I would think so though I, that your experience from being in the infantry, 82nd, whatever, probably helps in your role now, right? It does. Um, I don't want to make it sound like you just have to have an infantry background to help. Oh, here. sure. Our teams are made up from... Honestly, a majority of support MOSs, right. which is amazing for us. It's great when 
each 12-man team has a supply clerk, has mm -hmm. a mechanic, has a medic, has an intel, commo, whole bunch of different advisors. Right. Um, but it's also nice that, I don't know, it's just challenging. It's great to be in a unit where, like, I have to do something extra to get here. It's good to know that everyone on my team had to do something extra right. to come here. They're not just some random person that got picked up. They're right. all someone that signed their name on that dot line to be an extra volunteer to come here. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's a good point. Um, so for those listening who are just learning about SFABs, if you want to be an advisor now, that doesn't mean you're going to be an advisor forever, right? Yes. So for us, it's a generally a three-year assignment okay. you're locked into wherever you are um like i said for us it's a browning assignment so for infantry it's a staff sergeant for the positions on a maneuver advisor team or a sergeant first class for a team nco position okay um, both those positions are like kd complete so you've completed your either squad leader or platoon sergeant time but for us if i wanted to so once I finish my three years here, I go back to the infantry. I'll end up promoting. Once I do my platoon sergeant time, I can then request to come back oh, here. Okay. And right. then I can just come back as an or as a team NCOIC and then just continue on at a higher position. All right. Is that something you think you might be interested in in the future? Very much. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy my time here a lot right now. <laughs> well, and it kind of leads me to my next question. Like, what would you say to somebody who, who has seen – oh, there's SFABs. This is this new thing the Army is doing, um, relatively new. Maybe it's for me. I don't know much about it, though. Like, what would you say to somebody who's just trying to learn a bit more and wants to know if it's for them, either of you? So so for me, uh, I think the biggest thing, so on my team, we have a mechanic. Uh, he's a, what, 92 Yankee. So he's just a wheel vehicle mechanic. Uh, since he's been here, he's gotten to do... He's gotten promoted very quickly. He's gotten to do a civilian shooting course with us. He's gotten to do, essentially, like, he's getting opportunities that he will never see just working in a standard motor pool. Right. Our combo guy came here. He's a 25 uniform. He worked for a, I think, a TRADOC basic training unit at Fort Sill. He came here, and since he's been here, he has... He's learned TACSAT. He's learned the newest combo system. Some of the newest combo systems the Army has to offer because we're also learning those systems. That's awesome. Essentially, like basically, like a lot of these guys that are coming here are learning the new systems, the new equipment, different ways of thinking. They're working with different MOSs, just learning how how much bigger the Army can be, different mindsets, all those things. And then we all get to go back to the regular Army <laughs> and take and they that get experience. To take all these new ideas. Yeah, and they get to go back and they get to essentially influence a new generation of soldiers right. with all the creative concepts that we come up with here and the new systems. Like they might go back to their unit and not see the 158 radio system. Right. But then in a year or two when that unit might feel that piece of equipment, now we have that subject matter expert in the unit who yeah. can go, hey, I've used this system before. I can set this up. Right. As opposed to getting fielded equipment and everyone just staring at it going, oh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you guys go, I just want to ask one more SFAB question. Can you just, Sergeant Payne, can you give me a brief overview of what area and what the S fifth SFAB does? So with our regional alignment that SFAC is worked out between the different brigades, uh, we're aligned to Indo-PACOM, which for anybody not familiar with that, that covers basically uh, all of the Pacific Ocean as far as oceanic countries like um, Fiji, Samoa, different places like that. And then also pushing into uh, mainland Asia as far as uh, being focused on all of Southeast Asia and the different islands that are through there. Okay. Uh, is it as far as India? So, yes. does, so does this mean like you could potentially have to go to Fiji? Sadly, yes. <laughs> Gosh, that sounds <laughs> tough. Break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> to go to a beautiful country like Fiji. Right. I mean, hopefully you guys get to go someday. <laughs> yeah. So, is there anything that we haven't covered about the course, about the SFAB, or anything that you guys want to add? I mean, I, I think we're both just really grateful for the opportunities that we were given, especially with being able to go out and do jungle school and being 
uh, some of the first soldiers sent from any of the SFABs. Uh, it, right. it was a big honor for us, and it, it was a great experience, and we were both just thrilled that we got to do it. I want to thank you guys for taking the time to talk to me today to share about the Jungle Operations Training Course to help me learn a little bit more about the 5th SFAB. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So now that we've heard from two recent graduates of the course, we're going to talk with Staff Sergeant Austin Warner, who is an instructor at the Lightning Academy's Jungle Operations Training Course. Hi, Sergeant Warner. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Hey, thank you very much for having me uh, on. I really appreciate it. So we just heard from Sergeant First Class Kevin Payne and Staff Sergeant Kyle Gersbeck from the 5th SFAB, and they just talked about their experiences during the Jungle Operation course. But with you, I want to dive in a little bit deeper on some of the aspects of the course. So could you just talk about, you know, maybe walk us through a typical day, give us an overview of what y'all do with the soldiers who attend? Uh, absolutely. So Jungle School is broken down into three phases. You have the mobility phase, which is going to be the first few days, and then you have the survival portion, which is going to be another couple days, and then it culminates with a uh, a field training exercise, and that's where the students will put everything together that they've learned throughout the course and actually have to execute in the jungle in a squad size element. Okay. Now, I asked I asked the SFAB guys about this, um, but I want your opinion too. I've read that not tying can be particularly hard. Can you talk about is is it hard? Why why is it hard? So we we test uh, all students on day one when they show up to the course. Um, we test them on nine knots and three harnesses that they will utilize throughout the course. And so our standards our standards are are basic, but they they're tough. We uh, all the all the knots individual knots are all a thirty second time standard. And then we have a harness that's 30 seconds, one that's 45, and then the longest harness is going to be 90 seconds. Um, the reason that students showing up have difficulty with uh, successfully completing the knots is most of the time it's going to be inadequate preparation. Um, you know, they may have understood the knots prior to uh, showing up to the course, and they may have practiced them, but they may not have had you know, their sergeant or their buddy or somebody actually hold them accountable and time them and, and grade them to our standard. Um, so that's that's one aspect. And the other aspect is that students get a little bit of test anxiety. You know, you have a, sure. a bunch of jungle instructors that they've never never met before standing around a, a rope corral. And, <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's you know, as soon as we say that third command execute, it's, it's go time. And um, so we see a lot of students that know how to tie the knots properly but they panic as soon as they say go and so a lot of times the next morning when they get that retest uh any not they fail they get one chance to retest them okay a lot of times those students will 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 fix their their mistakes um but we still we still drop probably about 30 to 35 percent of the class on knots alone wow i mean so me and my husband used to have a boat and I couldn't even tie the boat off. Not necessarily not, but I couldn't even tie the boat off in 30 seconds. So I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it's a challenge, especially with that time. It is. Well, the knots, the knots are so important because everything that we teach during the mobility phase of jungle school, um, revolves around knots and rope systems. So we, you know, we send students down rappel tower. We have students rappel through the jungle, we have students do um, one row bridges across to gulch, open gulches and, and across bodies of water and everything. So if the students can't grasp the proper way to tie uh, knots, especially having to do it in a hurry, um, they're going to see a shortcoming in safety aspect of it when they actually have to tie the knots and the rope systems in, in person, you know, uh, when it actually matters. Well, that's a really good point I hadn't even actually thought of is the safety aspect of it. If you don't tie your knot right, you might fall exactly and you know when when we send up you know we teach the the squads that uh they'll send out two individuals that'll be the strong climbers and they'll be the ones who actually bust that gulch and climb up to the top of it and set up the rope system or they'll be the ones that'll swim across that body of water to set up that rope system and if you know nobody's going to be over there to inspect it to make sure that you know it was done properly and that could be a uh you know the lowest ranking member of a squad the most inexperienced guy who's might be the strongest swimmer or strongest climber and he's going to be tasked with having to do that and so if you don't properly do it and you start loading that rope up with weight and students um you know the, the chances of of somebody falling to you know an unfortunate death or you know a broken leg and sure uh, 
paralysis, stuff like that, it's it's dramatically increased. So uh, we harp very hard on knots, and that's why that is such a, a crucial aspect of the course. Yeah, that really makes sense, actually. I, like I said, I hadn't thought about that. But so what you said, so the students actually will, like, cross the body of water, the whatever it is, and then do – put the rope up themselves so it's you know it's not like you go down to the ropes course wherever you are where you're zip lining and the rope's already there no no they so when i mean there's there's times like instructors are you know throughout the beginning of mobility phase that they're inspecting you know um each each rope system that's set up even if it's something as simple as a fixed rope where it's just basically a rope that individuals can pull themselves up on that has that's tied into an anchor at the top of um, a gulch or whatever um Students are having to tie that on their own, and then as they get further into the course and whatnot, um, during especially during the FTX, they're going to be traversing down and up uh, very steep gulches, and they're going to be required to tie those knots. And you know, um, an instructor may that spot to be able to check it. So it's it's on them to make sure that you know they are tying it correctly. Okay. Now, I talked with the SFAB guys a little bit about the survival training, but I was hoping that you could go in depth a little bit more. Um, I think we've all seen shows on TV where they talk about survival skills and training. Um, is that this sort of thing? Uh, so it is. So we actually, uh, during the survival portion, um, so the, fir the first week during the mobility, we spent a lot of time at Lightning Academy. Um, they're, they're getting a lot of classes, a lot of PowerPoints. They're doing a lot of practical exercises getting a lot of the admin stuff out of the way. And then as we shift more towards survival, that's when we start putting them out in the jungle more. That's when they're going to start uh, sleeping in the jungle at night and everything and no longer in the barracks. Um, so we actually, on survival day, we take them out. So the day before survival day is waterborne. So the students will go to waterborne. They'll do their Zodiac stuff like that. And they're going to be wet all day. And then they're going to sleep in an extended security hall that night. And they're going to be wet all night. Wow. So we add that kind of that suck factor <laughs> into the mix. Um, so that way, you know, they show up to survival village on Sunday morning and we don't feed them. So they do not get to eat on Sunday. Um, their last meal was Saturday night before they bed down. And then they show up to survival village and it's cool when you walk in, it's, it's, you got, it's out in the middle of the jungle. You have different areas set up. You can see shelters, fire pits, um, and just different jungle-themed survival uh, aspects out there. And so they show up, and we'll do a round robin. They'll get an introduction to survival where they learn the, the principles of survival and what's important in a survival situation and everything like that. And then they'll do a round robin with uh, firecraft. Uh, that's been one of the classes I've primarily taught the last year. Um, they'll do water purification and filtration. They'll do a sh shelters building class, and they'll get a flora and fauna class for you know what you can't can and can't eat in a jungle environment, specifically to Hawaii, but we have uh, an instructor who is, is actually from uh, a different island, and um, so he, he adds some of his, you know, his native stuff into the course, and, and it's, it's really well taught, and uh, so after that portion's done, uh, we've got one of two options that we do with the students, um, depending on the size of the class and the students, uh, you know, their participation and everything, and so one of the options that we'll do with students is as soon as that's done, we'll take them back down to the barracks, drop their rucks off. Um, we'll shake them down. All they're allowed to have on them is their, their chest rig, their canteens, and their camelback, and a survival kit. No no comfort items, no food, no wow. nothing. And then we'll walk them into the jungle, and we'll put them in a survival pattern. Essentially, all they're going to do is that day is theirs uh, to build shelters, build fire. They have to build a fire with a primitive method, uh, with a method that we taught primitively. Um, so using using bamboo, using friction, stuff like that, different woods, okay. and then uh, they'll have they'll have to survive that night. Um, you know, we'll have instructors obviously on standby <laughs> in the event somebody gets gets cut or something like sure. that. You know, but um, it's it's basically on them. It's not not structured at all. Um, you know, half the time we'll come out there and people by the end of the day they'll have a the t-shirt ripped off, turned into a bandana, and they're in ranger panties <laughs> because you know they they've kind of embraced that whole the whole survival mentality. Sure. And then the next day. The next day, we'll add in some some tracking. There'll be a tracking portion where if they they track correctly, they can, you know, it'll lead them to uh, some rice and some more 550 cord and stuff like that that they can cook. And then, basically, the instructors that take over on that Monday will tell them to tear everything down, put their fires out, and they'll give them time standards. And they'll tell them, you know, you have to build a shelter to bliss standards, uh, which is the uh, a shelter in a tactical situation essentially. And then 
they give them different time hacks that they're going to have to meet the stuff. And if they don't need it, then they're going to have to tear it down and do it again. Um, the other option that we do is, and this gives it a little more of a realistic uh, aspect to the survival situation, is we'll tell the students that they're going to sleep in the barracks and that they're, you know, that Sunday night's just a recovery night to get ready for the FTX and that they'll go back out on Monday and, and work on some survival stuff. So we'll put them back in the barracks after the survival round robin's done. And then um, somewhere around 2,200, 2,300, we'll, uh, we'll drop some artillery sims outside the barracks and uh, essentially blow them out of the barracks, tell them they have X amount of time to get on the road with these items. And then we'll go walk them into the jungle at midnight and say, uh, you know, have a good night. So it's on them at that point, whether they want to sit next to a tree and fall asleep or <laughs> they want to build a shelter or build a fire, you know, and most students do. They, I haven't seen any students yet that, you know, just kind of give up for the night. They, sure. they all get excited about it. And, um, well, yeah, that's why you're there, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, they're, they're a little upset, you know, <laughs> sure. uh, some hurt, some hurt, some hurt feelings when, uh, you know, I, I wake them up and, you know, and they think they're getting 10 hours of sleep that night <laughs> and now they're not going to get any, um, but it's it's good because, you know, a lot of times the reason we teach the survival aspect is that the jungle is so dense and you're moving in such a small size element that it's not hard to get separated from your, your squad sure. and, and, and not be found again for, you know, a couple of days or a week or whatever. So we want these students to have the understanding of what to do and the skill set needed to be able to survive that next day and have that will to live to be able to potentially get out of that situation. Well, and going back to what you just said, again, the SFAB guys said that land nav was one of the most difficult things that they had to do. Just because you look at a map and you're like, oh, it's just right over there. But then you actually look at the terrain and it's not that easy. Yeah, exactly. Land nav, land nav hit or miss as far as um, students pass or not. Um, every class kind of bounces back and forth. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll have a lot of a lot of not failures. And nobody will fail the Jungle 5K, which is a, a very strenuous run, or and nobody will fail Land Nav or um, the CWSA. And other times we'll have failure, a, a lot of failures in every category, and now we're down to 40% of the class starting <laughs> um, by the end of day by the end of day two. So Land Nav is very difficult. It's a buddy pair. Um, there's a certain amount of points you have to find, but the terrain, it, the the points are almost always going to be at the bottom of a gulch in a really uh, unfortunate area that they're going to have to get down to. And so, um, you know, they're not allowed to use roads and, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, one of the things I like to discuss with students when I walk them on the FTX, um, on, on day two, uh, we take a ridge line. It's a, it's a long hike. Um, the, you know, the point of the FTX is day one, the students are wet, they're miserable, they're in water all day long, and then they have to sleep wet. And then the next day, it's just walking through the jungle carrying weight. That's that's the aspect of it. It's, it's to add that factor in. And so, one of the routes that we take, um, the students would be like, you know, from the from the start point, they're like, this is only two thousand meters away. That's not far at all. Well, by the time we actually get to it, they'll have walked ten miles. Sure. It's, so it's you know a straight line distance to two thousand meters. The route that they're actually going to have to take. Uh, due to the, the terrain out there, it's, it's, you know, it's miles on end. Right. It sounds intense. <laughs> like this it's, isn't, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a fun course. They, I mean, the, the students, by the time they, they, they finish the green mile and, and, you know, they're on during the FTX and stuff like that, you can see the attitudes on the students change, you know, cause nobody wants to do the admin stuff in the beginning of the classes and everything. It's <laughs> long days, a lot of time on your feet and stuff, uh, you know, not much sleep. And then, by the time they get to the FTX, you see a, you know, you see a, a, a shift in everybody's attitude. Now they're now they're getting to put it together and they're seeing why we do things the way we do them. Sure. But it, it is a, it is an intense course for sure. So I, so why do you think that this this training is so important for today's soldiers? Um, you know, we aren't necessarily fighting in a jungle setting. So how do you think that this helps with our readiness? Uh, so I think I think jungle operations training course really helps with readiness because it teaches soldiers how to fight, survive, and win in the jungle at any given time. And so um, I get it that, you know, the last 20 years, our <laughs> conflicts have been primarily in, you know, the desert environment and everything like that. But the skills that we teach at jungle school don't only translate to the jungle. Yes, they are primarily focused on the jungle. But um, if we were to go to another country that is a heavily um, mountainous country, um, you know, all these rope systems that we teach them, how to navigate through the jungle with these, these extremely steep gulches, it's all going to translate over to that environment as well. Sure. Um, and 
you know, we don't know what's on the horizon for the next conflict or the next area that we might be in. And so when we put uh, students through this course, it gives them a baseline understanding of, of how to safely move and effectively move through the jungle, how to survive if need be, how to do different skill sets that aren't being taught anywhere else in the Army right now. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to provide uh, an advantageous um, effect to our Army and our DOD personnel who, who come to the course because they're going to have an understanding of what they can and can't do in the jungle and how to do it properly. Yeah, absolutely. So who can attend the training? Uh, so right now, um, all DOD uniformed personnel can attend the training. Um, oh. we've, had, we've had soldiers from, yeah, we've had, I mean, last was a couple two classes ago, we had a MARSOC Marine come through. Um, we okay. get a lot of TDY, uh, Special Forces guys. Um, we do a lot of menu-based trainers as well. So in between cycles, we'll, uh, we'll actually have um, SEAL teams come out and we'll, we'll train them on uh on jungle operations based on what they're looking for. We'll have special forces groups come out. Um, we'll have air force special tactics squadron come out stuff like that. And so we'll have different units that may not be able to send their guys to the full 12 day course. Um, but the, you know, with the amount of people they want to get certified in this, uh, they don't get a jungle tab or anything like that. So they'd have to attend the course for that, but they're able to come out and, and we teach them, you know, a condensed version, basically cutting out anything that they're not looking for based on, you know, their, their next appointment where they're going. So, sure. um, but right now, yeah, it's open to all, all DOD, uh, uniform personnel. And so anybody that's wants to put a packet <laughs> in and get a slot, they can, you know, they can come on out. Very cool. I was telling the other guys that I actually hadn't even heard of this course. Um, so I grew up in the Fort Drum area and Arctic training. I get, you know, I grew up there. I know there's lots yep. of snow, um, but I've never been to Hawaii. And so I just have never really thought about jungle. And of course, we're not fighting in a jungle setting right now. Um, so I just had, I didn't know that this was a thing. So this has been very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't know what's, you know, what's on the horizon for the, the next uh, region that we could end Absolutely. up in uh, for a conflict. So, I mean, it's, it's better to, better to have it and not need it than need it not have it, you know? Agreed. So you you come off as very passionate about this. And so I wonder, how did you become an instructor? Um, so I actually came, became a jungle instructor by accident. Um, <laughs> and so I, uh, I first came over to lightning camp. I did a staff job in Utrepac for the first year on Island. Um, and then, um, with my sniper background, I got, uh, pulled over to lightning Academy to teach the uh, lightning marksmanship instructor course. It was basically a, a carbine course, um, mirroring, uh, marksmanship master trainer course out of Benning. And so, that course was stood down um, right as COVID was t- t- taken off last year. And so um, when that happened, uh, two of us instructors that were Limic instructors, um, you know, the Division Sergeant Major us personally to to move over into jungle school and, and become instructors because of our sniper background. So we were able to, him and I were able to, to add more, uh, revamp and, and add more to the, the combat and man tracking portion of the course. Um, We've added in the camouflage and concealment court, a class in the course, um, and we've kind of added some more sniper aspects um, due to field craft and everything into uh, jungle operations training course that, you know, they wouldn't have had before. So I am very passionate about this course. I've been, this, I think this is my 11th class I've taught now. Wow. Um, and I'm kind of shifting into more of the uh, assistant senior instructor here now. And so I'm kind of handling more of the, the backside support of it, making sure everybody's where they need to be and, and classes are going well and getting all the instructors kicked off in the morning and starting their day off. And so I'm not as uh, hands-on now with the instructor portion of it. That's kind of the, the newer guys that are coming in. Sure. Uh, that's kind of their, their lane now. So why are you so passionate about it? What, uh, do, what do you enjoy? I, this course teaches us. Um, I enjoy I enjoy seeing, uh, you know, because this, this course is – not just infantry based. We get MOSs from all MOSs from all over the army and from, you know, other branches and stuff. And so it's, it's very cool to see some of these individuals that have never had to ruck before. <laughs> you know, we, we, we do the, the crawl, walk, run phase. And, you know, by the, by the FTX, you know, you have uh, a female who's, uh, you know, a supply clerk, or you have a, a guy who is, you know, a, a mechanic or something like that. And now he's in charge of a squad and we could have a, a, you know, our two-star general commanding commanding general for the 25th was in the class. And, you know, and we I put somebody in charge of that squad and, you know, and he took charge of it. And it's 
it's cool because a lot of these individuals that come to this course will never actually get the experience or the the uh, ability to to do what they're doing in the course. You know, they're never sure. going to get put into a a leadership position where they're in charge of you know a full bird colonel <laughs> right. commander. Um, you know, and so um, it's cool to see the the transition when individuals show up. Um, because you gotta, you have to want to be in this course. Otherwise you're not going to make it through. So the guys and gals that graduate, um, they wanted to be there and they, they earned it. You know, it's, it's pretty cool seeing them on finishing the green mile and the camaraderie that's built among those soldiers. So I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it. Cause the, in 12 days, individuals, you know, get very close and they, you know, they have a respect for each other and, uh, you know, they're able to accomplish this goal together. Well, and I, I, would have to think too that, you know, a sergeant who is now in charge of a one star or a colonel, what impact that must have on their leadership ability and and how the confidence that they probably gain from that. Exactly, they gain a lot of confidence, and I'll you know I, I this is the most engaged command team uh, I've ever seen in the army. Um, I mean, we have our CG and division sergeant major and DCGO. Um, are at every graduation there, you know, they shake every graduate's hand out there. Um, and then we have the brigade command teams will come out and they'll run the jungle 5k with the students, you know, and they'll, they'll, uh, they'll cheer them on and everything. And it's really cool because I, I've never seen, you know, in my time in the army, I've never seen, um, a staff sergeant be able to have a direct relationship with a, you know, brigade commander, brigade sure. sergeant major or the division sergeant major. And so they're, they're very engaged in it. And it's, that's an impact that I think uh, a lot of soldiers need because, you know, they realize that their, their, their command teams all the way at the top, see them as, you know, a person and that they're, they are, uh, you know, a valuable asset to the team. And so it's, it's very, it's a very humbling experience, uh, you know, when all these leaders are out there and, and shaking hands and everything like that. I mean, Everything you just says said goes back to everything the Army has been saying for the last year, you know, people first and, uh, you know, just all of these different things. So um, I know you are busy, and so I, I have one last question, um, but I, I wonder what do you hope that your soldiers take away from their training with you? Um, that's, a, that's a tough one, uh, <laughs> what I hope they take away from. I hope they take away the, the skill set um, that's taught to them, um, and I, I hope they take away the ability to train individuals. So we've had some we've had past students who were very passionate about the course that went back to their units, and um, instead of just holding on to what they they learned to themselves, they started up pre jungle programs in their you know in their battalions or in their brigades, and then you know they're out there putting guys in the water they're out there putting guys through the jungle 5k and knots and stuff and so they're they're passing on that passion that that they developed in the course to other students or other soldiers for them to come through and uh i just i hope that students when they leave this course they take away uh the confidence that they that they've developed in this course because it's you know it is a very physically demanding course and you know we are sitting at a uh you know a 40 to 50 percent pass rate on most classes and so um, they should be leaving here with confidence and and pride for being able to push through it and uh, and be one of the graduates standing on the field at the at the end of the twelfth day. Absolutely. So, is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is important about the Jungle Operations Training Course? So we do have we do have uh, for anybody uh, DoD wide that wants to come to this course. If you get onto uh, YouTube under JOTC, uh, JOTC you'll be able to look up all the knots and there's a, uh, <laughs> there's a firsthand POV um, portion of or a view of, of in- instructors tying the knots. And so we just redid all the videos. So that way everything's explained. They did a PAO did a great job out here on the 25th getting the videos done. And uh, so if, if you want to come to the course, please show up uh, prepared and, uh, and ready to go because um you know the ones who the ones who want to be there are the ones who uh, who finish the whole twelve days. Yeah. Now I'm I'm just gonna echo what you said. Your PAO out there is awesome. I don't know if it's <laughs> I don't know if it's the talent or the views because the pictures out there look amazing. I, it's probably both. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is both. We, we do have some really great uh, photographers out here. The PAO yeah. and um, the division's very involved with making sure 
we have allocated PAO for for Jungle yeah. School and for Lightning Academy and stuff. So it's they they do a, a phenomenal job yeah. out here. The photos are incredible. <laughs> but all right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. Um, like I said, I had I didn't know about the Jungle Operation Training Course, and now I do, and now so do our listeners. So I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Um, so thank you for being here. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. Before we sign off for the month, I just want to use this time for a friendly safety reminder. While we may not be in the jungle, temperatures are heating up around the country, and heat-related illnesses, which can occur year-round, tend to increase significantly in warmer weather. But there are things you can do to keep you and your squad safe. So first, ensure adequate sleep, hydration, and nutrition prior to training. Start hydrated and stay hydrated with regular intake of food and fluids. Recognize the early signs and symptoms of heat illness in yourself and fellow soldiers. And rehydrate slowly and steadily after training and replenish salts and nutrients via food intake. So what are the signs and symptoms? Notify a leader or your battle buddy immediately if you experience dizziness, headache, nausea, fatigue, weakness, unsteady gait, muscle cramps, profuse sweating, or a change in mental status. For more information on heat illness prevention, visit the U.S. Army Public Health Center website at phc.amedd.army.mil. All right, well, thanks for listening and tune in next month. We will have a special co-host and talk with a squad from the 82nd Airborne Division about their role in the Army's modernization efforts. Until then, catch up on all things Forcecom on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next time on the front line.